Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. I hope that you are healthy wherever you are, and you're keeping busy. I know I'm trying to turn this forced sabbatical from the outside world into an opportunity to create more content. I've been working on new Patreon content, and we of course have a lot of other shows on the Just Enough Trope network that we hope are keeping you entertained during these strange times. My partner and co-host on the Just Enough Trope podcast and I have started a new feature called Co-Videos, where we're using the quarantine to scratch off some items on that movies I always wanted to see but never have list. Uh, Some of them are out-and-out classics uh, that just passed us by, and some are weird personal picks, and we watch them and talk about them and give our impressions on them. Uh, That comes out on the usual Just Enough Trope show feed, and we're doing um, a couple of those every week. So if you want to check those out, you can subscribe to us at Just Enough Trope on your listening platform of choice, or check out our Twitter at at Just Enough Trope if you want to take that journey with us. Today on the show, Dr. David A. Banks is back to talk, well... Everything, really. Uh, David's work focuses on the intersections of digital networks, urban form, and structures of power. And we were supposed to talk about the rights of AI and digital beings, uh, like Data or the ones that we see in Star Trek and specifically Star Trek Picard. But as you can guess, our talk ended up straying into current events. Much of David's work focuses not just on the internet and the data that we generate uh, and the governments and corporations that collect it, but also the ways in which that data is implemented or often not uh, in providing the services that we take for granted in times of normalcy and the ones that we rely on in times of crisis like right now. We do get to Star Trek and AI and the rise of the robots eventually, but first we start off talking about the coronavirus pandemic and how we're coping with it in the digital age, and it's a fascinating and I hope enriching discussion. And it's a long one. I love talking to Dave, and we certainly made it last, so this is where I leave you. But if you've got comments or something you want to add to the conversation, please do by going to at EISTpod on Twitter or the Enterprising Individuals Facebook page and join in the discussion. You can also help the show grow by going to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod and becoming a crew member of the show. And as always, if you like what you hear, tell a friend. That's it for me. Enjoy my conversation with Dr. Banks. I'll see you next week. Go easy on the toilet paper. And with that, let's get underway. Back on the show with me today is Dr. David A. Banks. David is a visiting assistant professor of geography and planning at the University at Albany. He's also the co-editor of Cyborgology and co-chair of the Theorizing the Web conference. And he's the co-host of the Iron Weeds podcast. David, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you back. Uh, thank tell you. me about the Ironweeds podcast. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so uh, my wife, Brittany, and our good friend, Chris, uh, the three of us um, cover politics and news and uh, um, culture, mostly from an upstate perspective, uh, upstate uh-huh. New York, that is, uh, uh-huh. where, where we live. And, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to make something that was uh, uh, sort of irreverent, funny, but... Um, uh, topical and uh, substantive, talking about you know like real issues and in, uh, in politics and current events, and uh, we have a good time doing it. That's great. Um, I th- it seems like there are more podcasts than ever. There are, and uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, not to just say that right after you tell me that you've got a new podcast, but uh, do you see that ever 
stopping or slowing, you know, from your position of somebody who uh, looks at the web and uh, information exchange. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, there'll probably be like a pruning back eventually, I imagine. Um, I don't, uh, but, you know, like this would be a time of just like a lot of experimentation. And then I'm sure if, if it's like any other kind of, media form uh there will be like a corporate buyout of a lot of that stuff there'll be consolidation not uh, uh you know not not like uh like my or your podcast will probably you know get bought by comcast or something like that it's probably you know maybe maybe that that could happen but for the most part i think uh uh you know you'll, you'll just see corporate actors trying to fill out the space yeah um I, i'd imagine that that would happen that uh, you know and and a lot of uh cultural consumption habits uh shift in times of crisis so uh, hmm. probably in the next uh month or two you know next couple months we'll find out uh just how much uh podcasts hang on what the different paradigm is going to be yeah. yeah so many uh podcasting hosts you know offer free options and it seems to be sort of piecemeal or catch as catch can and i could totally see if they ever get hip to it a corporate parent sort of sweeping in and buying up soundcloud or podbean or whatever it is yeah. so that you're getting your you know your free 10 hours a month from comcast or, or whatever the uh conglomerate is yeah, I think you already see that a little bit with like Stitcher has a premium service and yeah. uh, Spotify both have these like exclusive shows for them. I think there's yeah. a, a whole company that does that, like Luminary, I think it's called something like that. You know, hmm. where yeah, uh, um, I I I don't think it's necessarily like a hundred percent a bad thing if you know like people who are making this stuff like makes an okay amount of money doing it. Like that's good. Mm. I mm. I wouldn't probably rather it not be like one of the same four companies that make everything now but you know uh, you know i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it seems like the type of self-expression that happens with podcasts now is just part of the dna of the newest generations you know when i go to uh starbucks you know and um, there's a girl just shaking her ass for tiktok or whatever because she just got the notion to do that it seems like that kind of person is going to grow up and go to college or something like that and then go, well, I could do a podcast about this or that. And I don't know. I think that that's really good. I think that democratization of people's uh, self-expression is is a good thing. Yeah, no, I, I think it is, too. And, you know, mm-hmm. like the um, there's a really good uh, term that a colleague of mine, Crystal Abaddon, uses called uh, I think it's I think it's called tactical frivolity or strategic frivolity. I don't quite remember which one, but you know, hmm. the, the idea of using frivolousness, like shaking your ass for, for TikTok, like, like using those things that seem frivolous um, to, for your own ends or for a collective ends uh, is um, uh, happening a lot. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, I don't even know if we even notice it, uh, like notice what's happening in the moment. Uh, yeah, with that kind well, of thing, yeah. and, and you never you, do. <laughs> yeah, you fi- you find out eventually that I, you know, I, I don't know some someone who seemed inconsequential is, suddenly becomes very important, like uh, you know, real certain reality TV stars. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and thinking yeah. about the fact that you know, uh, 50, 60 years ago, uh, your your only chance to communicate through mass media was just waving and saying hi, mom. You know, on in. Uh, TV interview or something like that in the background, and now people can build their own sort of little personal empires uh, doing this sort of thing. Um, yeah, as you and I are both trying to do. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm all for it. Uh, we live in interesting times currently. I don't have to tell you. And everybody's stuck inside. Uh, and many gatherings and events are being canceled because of that. Does that include theorizing the web? It, it does, yeah. Um, we mm. um, we, we uh, uh, rescheduled fairly early. Uh, we okay. saw it kind of coming down the pike. And we rescheduled for October. So mm. really hope things uh, find some semblance of normal yeah. uh, in October. Uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah. Uh, um, the dates are escaping me at this moment, but it's it's in uh, it's in early October now. Uh, Theorizing the web is about the internet, and it takes place in large part on the internet with people attending remotely. But it's got to be a huge pain still to move an entire live event. Yeah, we we thought about what it would take to make uh, Theorizing the Web a a um, completely online event, and one yeah. thing that we um, just kind of kept coming up against was like, would you want to go to that? You know, like, like yeah. even if, even if you were like able to technically solve every single glitch and it came off flawless, yeah. do you want, would you like spend two full days in front of your computer screen watching other presentations? And, and like, I, I don't think I would want to go to that, which then tells you something about like what, um, what a conference is really about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like what, media actually captures and what it doesn't and so we we came to the conclusion that it would just be best to to postpone it but well at the same time because we're a bunch of theory nerds and and uh, media theory nerds specifically you know we um we realized that like that that's something interesting about the medium too that uh uh, there's something more than the sum of its parts uh, meeting in like a, a in-person physical yeah. space like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's good to to get the meet together every once in a while. Yeah, and not just go fully digital. Um, well, yeah, there's I know that there's a lot of uh, like comic conventions uh, that are being uh, canceled and they're trying this sort of virtual thing as well, which, of course, leaves out the huge sub economy of vendors and artists and people who a large part of their yearly income is them uh, selling yeah. items and doing sketches and things like that. And so then there's you're also seeing people organize um, online sales or like virtual um, stores or sort of uh, markets where people can go and support their artists and stuff like that. So it's it's fascinating to see the system, you know, the Internet or, or what, what have you uh, sort of take the weight of some of this stuff that we usually do. Um, you know, in, in real space as it, as it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a, I, I, I've already gotten record saying this is going to be the golden age of the group chat. Good. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, uh, and, uh, and, you know, I, I don't want to make it seem like there's always like, uh, the, um, uh, uh, the digitally mediated conversation is always less than the in-person one. I'd be the last person to argue that but um so it's gonna be interesting to see what um is better done either through uh, some sort of text medium or over real-time video chat or something like that because someone's gonna find something that works really well um but of course it's not going to be just taking what you do in person and doing it in front of a camera like that's not that's obviously not going to be the best thing because like the technology affordances are going to be different but uh, Mm -hmm. someone's going to come up with something uh, really interesting, I think, uh, in this time. Uh, and uh, I can't wait to really see what, what that is. 
Well, speaking of which, as an instructor, how has social distancing affected your teaching duties? Oh, just all of it. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, uh, we stopped, let's see, last week was spring break, and then the week before that, um, I had actually, um, I had felt kind of a cold coming on, and I had traveled to China in January. Oh. So I was like, nope, I'm not leaving the house anymore. Um, uh, I, got, I actually got one of the few... COVID-19 tests, um, which are really unpleasant. They always talk about testing, but they don't say what the actual test is. It's where uh-huh. they, they stick a, like a long Q-tip, like straight back in through your no- nasal cavity. Oh, it's, it's, uh, and they do it twice and it's no fun. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, uh, I, I, I already kind of, I, I haven't been into my classroom or, um, the campus for like a, a week and a half, um, maybe two weeks now. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been okay. You know, a lot, really the, the, the going, uh, uh, um, the mantra that everyone's going by is, you know, be understanding of everyone else's life that is in chaos right now. And let's just all try to learn as much as we can in this weird time, both in and out of the classroom and let's just make it happen as best we can. Yeah, well, that's the only thing that you can do, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's great to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot. And we were scheduled to talk about uh, artificial intelligence in the Star Trek universe today, uh, particularly how it is seen and explored in Star Trek Picard, uh, which we'll, we'll do. But, I mean, I think we would have to, we'd be fools to not want to talk about uh, what's going on in our world right now during our, our plague year, such as it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we t- we've talked previously uh, on the program about uh, the idea of uh, big data and the way that corporations are using data to get a new picture of uh, their users and the movements of their users through the world. And I'd have to imagine that hopefully uh, during this crisis, uh, we can use that data uh, the right way or uh, beneficial actors can use the data to contain the spread of COVID or to get treatment where it's supposed to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would hope that's the case. There's always, of course, the fact that like there is there's just an underproduction of a lot of those, um, either whether they be tests or ventilators or, or masks or something like that. You know, I'm not an yeah. expert in any of that, but it seems like there's not enough to go around um, or we can't physically get them to where they need to go. Uh, yeah. I do think that, you know, like there's something about... Um, and, you know, actually, I, I would, I'd rather pose it as a question. Is like, I wonder if when we compare COVID-19 to, like, say, the Spanish flu of 1918, you know, a, hundred, mm-hmm. a little over 100 years apart, um, yeah. are we going to see some sort of, like, better rapid response through the use of information? Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, I, I think it's the case that we overstate, like, how useful the, these sorts of things are. Um, but it, I, I hope that they're easy, that, they, that they do something. <laughs> we put so, we put so much uh, of our uh, research dollars into this stuff. I, I, yeah, I hope right. that they that they provide some sort of return on uh, how to fight such a, a distributed problem like a pandemic. Yeah, and from the perspective of like informatics, when you've got a state like West Virginia that's like, we don't have any cases. And yeah. it's not a question of not having cases. It's a question of not having tests and not having the information about about who has it. So think what you will about our current administration and government, but even if they were going to make positive, good decisions without that information, 
the decision is is just not going to be tailored to the problem. Yeah, right. And uh, you know, whenever we, uh, I've been watching the Blacklist lately, which is you know obviously not Star Trek, right? <laughs> yeah. It's almost the opposite. Um, um, but there, I've I've been noticing they have one. I've noticed how many episodes they have about uh, um, bio weapons and uh, contagions. Huh. But <laughs> that that just shouts out every single time uh, that happens now. But also. Um, how often the the folk you know, like the the whole episode the fulcrum of it is about um, like oh we ha- we know X Y Z so therefore you know the inductive reasoning the Sherlock Holmes sort of stuff about like therefore the, you know the bad guys over there and just like right. I, I just think about like all the different steps of like we have this information we know for example like the you know uh, there's like one scene where there's like uh, they're looking for someone that uh, has like some sort of uh, um, I think it was a bioweapon and or like they, they released it with an airplane and they're like, OK, well, we have nine places where Cessna's within that the range of the site like could uh, be housed in a building. And I'm like thinking about like, God, we, we don't have a database of like the size of buildings and like the registry. <laughs> right. I mean, we don't know in real time where every single small aircraft is like all of these things like we just we it feels like we know it because like we're saturated by information all the time, but there's actually tons and tons of data that we still don't have in real time, let alone at all, you know? And, um, I, I I think, uh, or at least I hope that some of this, um, if there's maybe like a handful of good things that, or at least clarifying things that come out of this pandemic, it's like how much stuff we still really don't know. And we don't have real time data on, and how much that data isn't just like magically produced through like having a cell phone in your pocket that a lot of that data is bad or uh, incorrect or incomplete in, in some important way. Um, yeah. And that we actually need to like put effort into things like uh, the census where you have yeah. where it's like old school. You have a person go to your door, ask you these questions like that sort of thing, which, you know, I'll um I'll just end by saying that, you know, like the census is a good place to start looking at big data information sort of gathering practices because we actually built most of our main like um, IBM computers, some of the very first computers that eventually uh, turned into IBM uh, were um, made for the census. Oh, OK. Yeah, they were um, because we, we were getting to the America was growing so fast that we were still counting the last census when it was time to start the next one, you know, okay, 10 years right. later. Sure. So, so they were like, oh, we got to find a better way to count this faster. And, and so you got the, the punch card tabulating machines. Um, so, you know, hopefully we, you know, uh, we get some sort of breakthrough, like a, t- a punch card tabulating machine that we can like real time look at spread of disease and stuff like that. Yeah. I, you were talking about like having access to how tall buildings are and stuff like that. And you always think about that happening in these cyber shows, but it's really so, like just a few years ago, there would be a thing where you would have to call somebody, Hey, look up the plans for something. And then you'd have a, a one of your side agents, like go to the, to the city uh, administration building or something like that in the basement. And then they look at the blueprints and say, you know, oh, there, clearly there's a secret room here or, you know, you've got to go uh, <laughs> right. three three doors to the left or something like that. But somebody somewhere scanned all that online now and it's all virtually represented in yeah. this other world. Is Blacklist, Blacklist is like, James Bader's got like a list of bad guys, right? Yes, that's pretty okay. much it. Okay. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> him, he himself is a bad guy 
and he's like double crossing a bunch of people and like you know okay know which side everyone is on i i actually see it as closer to like the x if like the x files met like the born identity or something it's like oh, okay you know, a mix of those two things i i really right. just watch it I, I watch it to watch james spader choose <laughs> well you don't have to apologize real. to me no <laughs> sounds, no i, 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 I might <laughs> check it out it sounds kind of interesting no I, I just i i love watching james spader be like a weirdo and that's that's what draws me to it all the time what always gets me is how much crises like this, you know, stress test the the, the uh, structures that we have in place and how, you know, you always hear that people, everybody is going to predict everything. You know, not every threat is necessarily credible, but how people have talked about how our healthcare system isn't ready for this. Our networks and our computing systems aren't ready for this. And we're already seeing companies, you know, capitalist companies being asked to reduce their bandwidth and reduce, you know, the services that they give in order to keep our uh, network from uh, crashing or from having problems. And something that really got me was it's, it's just mind blowing how quickly a primary can be canceled. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that our democracy is just paper thin and can just be torn down almost immediately. And the fact that, you know, you're talking about punch cards, just Having some system, some backup to take care of, you know, if the voting machines go down or if there is uh, some kind of a disease outbreak and we can't go to the polls and we're just not ready for that. Yeah, yeah, we're really not. And the um, I forgot which essay it is, but one of the, one of, in one of his many, many essays, like maybe this might have been almost a decade old now, uh, anthropologist David Graeber made this point that, um, you know, there are gosh, how many ATM machine, how many ATMs are there out in the world, right? It's got to be right. millions, right? Yeah. And how many times have you ever heard an ATM machine spitting out the wrong amount of money? Yeah. You know, like, like th these things work like 99 out of 100 times exactly the way that they're supposed to. They uh, don't, they, they um, actually control like pretty complicated uh, um, transactions, uh, I can now do all of that from my phone, including deposit checks by taking a picture of it. You can do all these things with banking that you know has to be very, very secure. And um, uh, you you have to know that it's like the, the you know, I identify the person, verified identities and all that stuff. We can do all of those. This is technically possible, it seems, to do all of these things. Um, but voting, we just seem to not be able to do. You know, like anything that has to do with um, the... Uh, uh, maintenance of democracy or uh, social reproduction, right? The idea that mm. you know, reproducing the society with younger people as as older people uh, um, uh, die, you know, like, that's right. uh, not, um, none of that really seems to be showing up, you know, and, and that's yeah. Um, disturbing. That's Yeah. Uh, do you, one more question about this sort of thing, and then no, I promise we'll yeah. get the track. No. Uh, do you see the kind of collection uh, of data that, that companies just do by rote now, um, just data points that we wouldn't even think um, exist? Do you see that as like a, a violation or like an inherently bad thing? I've been seeing a lot of uh, just reporting and stories and books recently about things, you know, the idea of like surveillance capitalism where they're just taking our stuff. There's no consent. We haven't agreed to give them these points of data and are using it. Like, do you think that it's just like 
we just can't trust capitalism. Capitalism is just being capitalism, even if it's cyber capitalism. And so um, we should be wary of this and we should try to, to I don't know how we're going to uh, in this society, but like try to take our data back or keep them from sort of spying on us in, in that way. Huh. Okay. There's a couple things there, right? So mm-hmm. um, one, you know, we have um, a lot of, a lot, of, lot of fun treats, right? We have lots of fun stuff that we can use and play For with. For a treat, yeah. Yeah, you know, like Instagram, Snapchat. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I just started a Discord server. I love these things. I think they're a bunch of fun. Yeah. Um, uh, what we uh, are also realizing, though, is that they are expensive to run, right? And they, they, they're not just like ephemeral uh, code that can be deployed with no effort, right? There's actually mm-hmm. quite a bit of, like, physical stuff that has to work correctly and people that have to do real work and come like wake up every day and turn on the server, you know, know, a lot of stuff that actually needs to to get done um, in order to make all that stuff happen. And the only way that you can get the resources or the, and the money to make that happen is to convince a handful of people that already have all of the money to, you know, let shed off some for you. And really the only thing, the only mechanisms that we have to do that are, um, schemes. And I'll use the word schemes that, um, are likely to pay off better than a healthy, uh, index fund, right? When the, when the markets are healthy, you know, like index fund, you just put it, you know, some money into like the S and P 500 or whatever sure. you're going to get, uh, or like an index fund of the New York stock exchange, you'll get like 12%. You got to get something that is going to beat that. Otherwise no investor cares. Right. And right, so you'll get right. these either moonshot opportunities where you're like, you have every single social media company has to grow like Facebook, where it's just like meteoric rise or it's nothing. And, all of these companies also have to tend toward monopoly um, it, because competition is actually not so great with these things because uh, when it comes to social, uh, you know, like social media, you want all of your friends in one place. You don't want to go to different apps to do different things with different people necessarily. Yeah. So there's like this ten, this really strong tendency toward uh, monopoly. And so I, I, yeah, I'm, the way that everything is, structured i don't think like if you wanted something other than capitalism or uh data um uh uh, this privacy destroying uh, data collection uh i think is really kind of baked into the way that we use all this stuff right all all these treats i I think it is pretty deeply baked in and so like if we wanted something radically different or something more egalitarian cooperative or what however you want to characterize it um i think it might need yeah it's gonna need to look and act a little bit differently and i i it's i've really the that topic has haunted me and it's also like really really wide open and i think that's why it haunts me is because like i don't really know what that would look like or if i would even like it like would i want to like I don't know, like spend half an hour volunteering at my local data center so that I can gain access to <laughs> the Snapchat or something. Yeah. yeah you know, right. like, right. Like, like that's like, I would la- like you laughed. I would laugh. Right. Like that sounds weird, but like, I don't even know if that's, is that what I want? Is that better? I have, no, I, I don't know. You know, it's yeah. like, I, I think we're really hitting at um, this, like these like contradictions of capital where we have a, 
this bountiful amount of you know like i have the most music i i anyone could ever uh, connect to and yeah. i can i have all this media but like how does it get paid for what sort of where does the value come from is all very ephemeral and confusing yeah. um and we're really just sort just starting to realize like how many things need to happen and change in order uh to get the to get all that you know? Yeah. And like what, I mean, it just, as you know, uh, as a content creator, I'm sure you know, like what content is really worth and, yeah. and music companies, you know, for, for years were ready to die on the hill of every single song was, you know, a unique special snowflake and only recently have come around to fine, just pay 15 bucks a month for it or whatever. And we'll just get it that way. Um, yeah. And, the, and then all the, uh, all these leaving weird, the artists in, out in the process. Right. Yeah. And then there's all these weird incentives that start popping up that are, range from perverse to, to good, right? Where um, if I'm, say, a musician, which I'm not, but, you know, if I, if I were, you know, and I wanted to get big, you know, I would try to craft a song that would fit into, like, one of Spotify's really big playlists, right? <laughs> sure. And you, you, you wouldn't necessarily be purely driven by uh, the kind of music you would want to make. You want to be able to be the perfect puzzle piece into... Uh, a hole that you've identified and that's sort of always been the case uh in a lot of ways but there's something maybe approaching a categorical difference uh, with like how finely tuned all of these different um media streams are yeah the the smartphone is such it's it's such a strange device and it's like i think the closest you could get to mental telepathy uh you know with a whoever's paying attention um than anything else like it, the fact that like without them i walk around and i go i wonder uh, how tall ben franklin was you know or i wonder <laughs> you know how much kumquats are at the store and now i can immediately know and then anybody who has access to what i'm doing you could do this with a pc as well but it's just even more convenient with the smartphone can immediately know that about me that i'm thinking about kumquats I, I, any other any other industry in the world, they're all trying to do this as well. Like when I go to Cub and they want to offer Cub is a grocery store in my area. Mm. Um, if they want to offer me um, a discount card or whatever, they're doing that. So they know that I, Aaron Coker bought kumquats right. and then they can get more kumquats or try to sell me kumquats or whatever. But the fact that the, the smartphone, you know, your, your ISP or your service provider or whatever just has all that information. It's just, I don't know. It, it's weird. And like, I think like you, I, I've got, I think kind of a pragmatic view on it, but when you think about the scope of of that data, it does it, it does uh, blow me away sometimes. Yeah, it's like I was thinking about, and this this kind of le- blends into some some star- some of the conversations we've had more specifically about Star Trek. Is mm-hmm. that you know um, uh, even if you, you know like you want to think the I guess the worst about. Um, a lot of uh, the social uh, social media as like uh, a tool of surveillance, um, uh, you know, as as much of your social being is mediated through these technologies, you know, like that's how much more of yourself all anyone can monitor if they want to, right? You know, yeah, and um, and uh, you know, if if you just want to believe that like that's all that's happening all the time, then like. Uh, uh, that's a lot of information that we are realizing is even harder to parse than uh, we originally thought. Yeah. Uh, and 
to some degree, I, I, I kind of throw my hands up to, to all this and be like, if the, the government can, or, or a corporation can like ruin my life as soon as it wants to. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, uh, so I might as well keep using this stuff to the degree that it, it helps me until it doesn't. He's like, I don't, he's, he's so much of the, the nature of all this is that like, it's indeterminable. Like, I don't know how, like what my actions are going to, what sort of consequences my actions are going to produce because as I'm sitting in front of my, you know, two glowing computer screens talking to you, I have all sorts of stuff flying by right now. And I have no idea who's intercepting what I'm talking, what I'm saying to you right now. You know, it's, uh, it's really hard to connect action to, to consequence now. And, and that really changes how people act in general when, when, whether they know they're being viewed or not. Yeah. And just because I'm searching for Ben Franklin doesn't mean I want Hamilton tickets or, or whatever yes. it is. Like there isn't a, a correlation necessarily. Yeah. It, 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 sometimes I find myself getting um, uh, embarrassed or uh, frankly offended by some of the ways that algorithm, some of the things that algorithms think I want. <laughs> yeah. Like what the hell did I do yeah. that made them think that I wanted to watch Ellen? You know, <laughs> you know yeah. like, like what's going on? Like, yeah. Yeah, all, YouTube, all YouTube, all YouTube videos need a presses or just like a a ten minute or ten second summary or something like that because they've got this deal where you got to click on it to know what's in there and right. once I click on it, you immediately add it to my algorithm or whatever and it's like no no didn't you notice that i clicked away 10 <laughs> yeah, seconds later because yeah. i didn't want to watch this yeah no that was ironic i actually hate yeah this. i was supposed <laughs> to see how the other half lives yeah 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 yeah, yeah. well the last time that you were on the show uh, we talked about i think captain picard uh, being on facebook uh or spacebook and we talked about trek's shaky relationship to computing and information science and we also discussed uh what news and social social media and data security might be like in the federation and perhaps in response to our discussion those issues are being explored right now on star trek picard yeah it's about time that we got our due and they they <laughs> that they, they actually started talking about what we were talking about yeah I'd be fascinated yeah. to find out what if it was a sci-fi show or what type of program um, and not like a John Stossel thing. I mean, like fiction, fiction programming was the first to really start to try to integrate things like social media and sort of the digital landscape into their storytelling. Because Trek made it to what, 2005, I think it was when or six uh, is when Enterprise went off. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. And they still had, I mean, they were really detached, I think, at that point, but they had no no plan to put email or anything into their storytelling. So if Trek was going to come back, uh, especially if Trek was going to come back subsequent to TNG and the whole world of Berman Trek, they were going to have to do this someday, of course. And so I think that we are seeing now Trek <laughs> as an institution, their take on the world that we're living in. You know, the series opens with news coverage of a disaster in the Federation and an interview with retired Admiral Picard. That's kind of a gotcha interview. That's, I'm, I'm assuming, trying to provoke views, you know, on the Federation news service or, or whatever, but also maybe 
you know, of course, sparked debate about the resulting synth ban that came in the wake of this uh, disaster. You know, we also see a hacker character who uses whatever internet or network the Star Trek universe has to get information on people and to um, infiltrate systems. And we see <gasps> targeted advertising when the crew goes to Freehold, a pleasure planet. Uh, everybody has a po- literal pop-up ad that they have to uh, get rid of that is L- literally tailored... swipe away. Yeah. Yes, that is tailored specifically to them. Yeah, even when you cancel it, it's not an X. Like you have to play along. So if it's a boxer, you have to punch it. You know, yeah. if it's a bartender, you have to say none more for me, thanks or whatever. It's just like I hope that that is. I hope that Freehold operates outside of the Federation because what what a hellscape dystopia the Federation would be if those pop up ads really exist uh, in the Federation proper. Yeah, I, I I got the feeling that they were outside of the Federation, and I would I I would actually hope you know like I, I know there's no time to really get into that, but I would hope that a Federation citizen would have like a much more disturbed like reaction to that. Yeah. Um, then Every, yeah, but everybody just seems did. like, well, there you go. Yeah. yeah, like oh, that thing again. Yeah, because like I like I think about like when I uh, when I came back from from uh, my hippie college like over the summer and went to my parents' house and they had the TV turned on and I hadn't had a like a running broadcast TV around me in, a, in uh, like a year. Yeah. And how jarring it was! Like it was yeah. like just so like. I, kind of disturbing you know it was just like it's like yelling at you and telling you that you're ugly and uh and that you know your dick is too small if you don't have this big truck or something like that you know like some really <laughs> like gross stuff and i was um uh and, and i and i think about that like with if you lived a whole life in the federation where you're like ah well you know my friends and i we're in a Shakespeare troupe together and got my, got what's my favorite song? I don't know. Anything by Chopin, you know, it's like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, these, like these total nerds, you know, if they, they show up to a place like, I mean, even like Risa is like, as a, like a pleasure planet. It's like what you like, sh- you have like a, a statue that tells you that you're DTF, you know, the, like, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. that's like the, the most uh, out there, that that planet is, uh, yeah. with the exception of like some mild terrorism to destroy the the um, <laughs> yeah. the the the, uh, the what, weather what machine the, the weather yeah. machine yeah, yeah. Um, you know but, but um, yeah but then when you go to a place like Freehold uh, or is it the Free Cloud yeah Free Cloud yeah. Free Cloud yeah yeah um, nice. which I was expecting to be like some sort of matrix. Uh, thing that you had to jack into, you know, like where like oh yeah yeah they would uh I mean like cloud I'm thinking like in the cloud but I guess it's just a like a place called free cloud anyway um uh, uh yeah I would think that it would be like almost impossible to to handle that you would just like <laughs> where's like the the human meat on a stick you know yeah like, yeah yeah the would, baby rape would, pavilion and yeah yeah right it would just be so carnivalesque <laughs> and disturbing that like. That you wouldn't have to be like, yeah, like baby on a spit or something like that. It could just be like advertising. He's like advertising is disturbing and like yeah. it's in psycho and psychological torture. <laughs> and and, <laughs> and um, I, I, w- I guess I would have been more I would expect Federation or ex-Federation citizens or whatever to like really um, be disturbed and startled by it more than like uh, I, I forgot the character's name. The um, the doctor that. Uh, ends up being kind of a double agent uh Girati. Girati, Girati. yes thank you um 
she's pr- pretty much the only one that I think has a, a believable reaction to that, which is like, what the, what, what is this? What do I, right. What yeah. do I do to it? And, yeah. and they're like, Oh God, it's gross. You know, like that, um, that sort of grossed out, confused reaction is what I would expect, uh, someone, someone to do in that case. But yeah. Yeah. Well, we were, we were asking before on that previous episode, like what, what would Trek look like, uh, if it fully embraced the current technological and uh, informational trends of our world. And maybe that's, you know, you get the idea that free cloud is a place of, you know, a wretched hive of scum and villainy, if you will. Um, so maybe the, Presumably benevolent uh, data collecting and tracking of the Federation is is what they're escaping. You know, you go to do your death stick deal or whatever, and you don't want the Federation on your back. But then, of course, you have to put up with the relentless advertising and and uh, and that sort of thing. But that I, I like your point about <laughs> you're leaving an anarchical society to go where exactly? Like, <laughs> yeah. how are they going to be freer than than what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, f- full communism is the ultimate ad blocker, you know. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And once you're ensconced in that, you yeah, you, you can, uh, it, it, I imagine it's just like, just so totally um, alien, uh, pun intended, to like, um, experience anything other than that. Yeah. And the fact that all the ads know exactly who you are and your predilections, it's like, that's, that's not really... Uh, oh yeah totally free right yeah so that means they like yeah they either have siphoned off information from uh from some federation database or there's like some instantaneous uh sensing that is going on that can deduce uh what will work best for you right and then like who knows what that is Maybe that's a vision then of data out of control where the Federation's like, well, you didn't like us keeping tabs on you, but we weren't doing this. And this yeah, is what you yeah. get if, if you can do whatever. Um, I did like, I, I liked your a comment about Gerardi too and how she represents, I guess in this case, like the least uh, tempered or jaded uh, character. Like she's Federation basic. And we do get to see, <laughs> uh, we do get to see for the first time extended scenes on Earth. Um, it wouldn't be much of a Star Trek if they didn't leave Earth, but I did like seeing some of the um, the scenes on Earth and trying to get an idea of what the Federation is like, what the day-to-day life of a Federation citizen is like, because, of course, we always follow these explorers that are out in the middle of nowhere. And um, we didn't get to see all that much, but we did get some interesting kind of glimpse. Uh, apparently, Boston's going to be great in the future. Like, it, they've got that, <laughs> yeah. they got that locked down. That looks yeah, awesome. Yeah, was wasn't expecting that, I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah. Although I did, I was saying on another show that apparently there was, I guess baseball's back because in in that long shot, you see an advertisement for the London Kings. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is Boston, You're like, you know, socks, it's a red socks all the way. Oh, I missed like, that. Yeah, there's I, no way that they're going to, yeah, I mean, like, we might be enlightened individuals, but we'll still flip a f-ing hover car over baseball, you know, so forget <laughs> about it. Um but we have all these unanswered questions of, you know, where is the automation and the application of AI? And, of course, we're starting to see that. Of course, that's what Picard is about. Um, and Although to Star Trek, like, these, that's, that's the same question. Like, synthetic life or robots, I guess, and artificial intelligence are always united on Trek. You, you rarely see an artificial intelligence that doesn't have a, a physical, often human form. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think part. I mean, part of that might be uh, like user experience, um, for lack of a better term. Uh, yeah. You know, like you want to be around 
something that's human shaped rather than like some terrifying multi-limbed thing that might actually be better at the job that you've assigned it to. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Right. You know, or, or maybe it's it's an ergonomic issue where like you want the the world around the built environment around you to be ergonomically designed for it, uh, some humanoid shape. And, uh, so if you make the things that help you also humanoid shaped, you know, like everything is shaped the way that is the most comfortable for like a, an average humanoid. I don't, you know, maybe that's the, I, the thinking, yeah. but, um, I, I would also be a little weirded out that, you know, like I, and, you know, maybe this is why, like, uh, a lot of the synths that we've seen, like, have this pallor to them that is definitely um, looks synthetic is that, you know, like, maybe you want something that marks them as such so that it doesn't feel like you're barking orders at, like, a, a something that's living, right? And that's at the center of so much of Data, Seven of Nine, The Doctor, mm-hmm. and Odo plot lines is, like, you know, what is human and how can you... Uh, or, or what it, they, they usually say human. And I think that, you know, that, that's pretty chauvinist, isn't it? But you know, like, what, what, you know, like, um, you know, like what's, what, what, what's alive and yeah. how should you treat it and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, uh, I, when it, when it comes to artificial life, you know, I'm glad that we're focusing on, on that now in Picard because there's some like exceptionally arbitrary ideas here where like the Federation ha- seems to have no qualms with like, essentially enslaving holograms right we say that right. in that episode of voyager that's just like a throwaway where like there there's a bunch of doctors working in lithium dilithium, uh, dilithium mines or something right yeah and right. uh um and they they get like photons be free they get the like the hollow novel about like uh hologram liberation and it's like i thought i really thought that that's where that was gonna go I'm a little disappointed that that Picard did not go down the road of just like uh, thousands of doctors like revolting. But I guess right. like uh, yeah, <laughs> I was asking too much. But um, uh, yeah, I, I I would imagine that there's something out there that uh, uh, where, where the Federation just like eventually like really comes down on like the decision of like our synthetic is synthetic life life does it have rights and yeah. like can you just like revoke that instantly the way it seems that they that they have been yeah. um that that doesn't seem right at all well it you know in in the sort of and i, I use this term positively but in the moralizing sort of world of tos and all the berman trek it, it's always a move up you know the the arc bends towards justice that sort of thing and in this sort of modern storytelling, it's like it's got to be kind of edgy. And so maybe things aren't going that way and maybe things can regress. And Berman, Act, uh, Berman Trek era stories, whenever they're telling stories about AI, they're generally stories about just recognizing it as alive and, and sentient, you know, period. Um, it, how it's the new life that the Enterprise is supposed to be seeking out, but we're missing it in our own backyard. But, you know, Picard has that more sort of cynical look at it. And we're back to the rise of the robots, which is weird because anybody who's a TNG fan and is familiar with data has no problem accepting synthetic beings as being alive. You know, we watch one every week on the show. But apparently the Federation hasn't seen TNG because they're just subjugating synths up in here. Like they're solely an underclass. It's like nobody listened to Guinan at all. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or it, it it's almost like they're um, they're creating like... Um... 
like a well behaved they're like well you know date is different you know he breaks all the stereotypes he's a well behaved uh synth and then like and then like but you know in general like the rest of them are just like you know you can't trust him you know i i I don't know it's um that that, that's the only way that i i can i can parse that as or if there's like some sort of grandfather clause because then like also why do do they cover this like why why does this ship have like a a holographic crew isn't isn't (laughs) that against this like synth thing there seems to be a very very strange uh arbitrary dividing line between like uh, uh physical synthetic life and digital like projected holographic uh synthetic life and i don't understand where like wh- what is what why i don't understand why yeah well it's it's even that it's that same idea that i said before of like it having an intelligent mind and then having like a real body be it flesh or metal or hologram is like that's the only way that trek can even think about this right like, it's like at the end of tng uh this enterprise achieves self-awareness but it's in this weird way where it builds like a weird slinky thing that then flies off and everything's oh, right. fine. Yeah, but the Enterprise right. is like this amazingly powerful computer that could totally be alive. And in other, uh, you know, sci-fi shows, we see like, you know, people talk to the ship and the ship is alive or it's in, controlled by an AI or something like that. But like, I don't know if it's just, if Gene Roddenberry just hated like <laughs> talking computers or, 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 or self-aware robots or something, but Trek has just never really done this until really now, like they've taken this one episode, which is a great episode, The Measure of the Man, and just made it like the basis for at least one seri- uh, season of their entirely new series. And um, I don't know, like your mileage might vary as to what they're really accomplishing. I mean, media and fiction that we make is always preoccupied with the issues that we currently face. Um, and I don't know, it's possible that with many of us talking every day to Alexa or Siri or having interactions with machine intelligence, even if it's not sentient, that affects our sci-fi. Like both Picard and Disco Season 2 both deal with AI, and they're these kind of rise of the robot scenarios, which, like I said, I find kind of regressive. You know, the idea that Commander Data has been around for 30 years is an accomplished Starfleet officer. Sure, he's on the Enterprise a lot, but he's talked to other people, met people, been to conferences and stuff. You know, Trek fans are okay with synthetic life, but once again, we have to go into the you know, all humans must die shtick with our with our storytelling on Picard. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, it is true that um, we don't always we can always regress as a society, right? That, that yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah, you know, I, I think we're finding that now in IRL that you know, like, if we make some sort of accomplishment uh, in the realm of uh, um, tolerance, you know, like we don't um, just always automatically keep it; it has to be maintained, and so it, it can be interesting to to dwell on that. But I, I ultimately agree that I, I would, I feel like there's just something, and Trek is the perfect vehicle for this to like just think about something else about uh, autonomous life that isn't mm-hmm. um, like they're t- they'll take our jobs or, or they want to kill us at all costs because they're more perfect than us or whatever. Uh, yeah. Like, I was thinking I, that data literally has ethical subroutines that like keep him from doing anything bad. Like I don't want the word uncle Tom to come out in the air, but like he literally has to kind of do what we say, but like real freedom for a synthetic life form would be somebody like, uh, 
like uh, Soji in, in Picard, who presumably doesn't have that and is just free to do whatever, good or bad. Yeah, yeah, and and, uh, and doesn't even like. I guess there's like some control mechanism on the fact that she doesn't feel, fully understand her powers, and I think there is some yeah, like yeah. writing. There's writ- written into it like. Oh man! Once she does find out, what, you know they they mention you know, like she's been activated or right or she yeah um, you know like in those moments they're like oh now she's dangerous because she knows what she is <laughs> right. and and what she is is inherently dangerous right like um yeah, yeah I yeah if I could put on you know a media critic hat for a second <laughs> sure. yeah I I I do feel like that Picard is taking on maybe too many uh um uh uh too many storylines in like what 12 like a dozen episodes or something yeah i feel like you know we're grabbing a bunch of different stuff all all at once where like yeah if if it could if this could just be 12 episodes on measure of man you know like that i would i would be totally fine with that it's one big rich question i would be explore from all different angles yeah i'd be interested to see just 10 episodes on the malaise of like the 25th century federation like yeah you mentioned the fact that it's just gone up and up and up and we want to believe that in a lot of a lot of disgruntled fans like complaints have been about the fact that the federation isn't as shiny and happy as it's been in the past but of course this series was created like in the middle of the great society and just believing that government is a positive force and we're going up and up and up and it's funny that it took until now until this decade for disillusionment to become so widespread and like baked into our interaction with politics that we're willing to dirty up the Federation and present a world where it's like, maybe it's not that great. Yeah. Or that there's always some sort of um, malignant force within the good thing. Right. Right. There's like, there's always corruption that uh, um, brings down this perfect society. Right. That would otherwise be perfect. Um, Oh my God. Q. (laughs) <laughs> just thinking about <laughs> politically there's you know q and then we've got q in star trek maybe that's why they haven't brought back q yeah maybe yeah yeah <laughs> there's a little, lot of wires crossed on that one yeah 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 I, I um i to get back to what you're saying about like we we see earth for a refreshingly long period of time in picard yeah. i um yeah I, I i always love it when when star trek goes to earth um because you know uh, uh on the one hand you know, uh, the new life and new civilizations may be the friends we made along the way, you know? And so it's like all, <laughs> yeah. all, all of that cool stuff is may, maybe, you know, there's infinitely amount of infinite amount of things we could look at on earth. But then there's also like all these moments where that are mostly throwaways. Like why does Picard's dad have a restaurant? What do you do with a restaurant when there's no money? Like, is it just like a fun, a hobby? Right. Like, do you, uh, do you just like do it to pass the time? And like, I, I think, um, when you think about like what, like these scientists are doing on earth, it, it does obviously seem like passion projects, but, you know, speaking as an academic, you know, like, I wonder what the, there's still like tons of maladaptive, uh, forces at work to like be the first to publish and like hurt other people in, in the process. And I, I, I always wonder if, um, if that's still uh, at play here, because, you know, like in Berman Star Trek, like half the time that so- there's a, a character not on screen, they're like, oh, they're at a conference, you know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. they're you know, like just everyone's always at conferences. And uh, um, and that was pro- that would probably not be how I would spend uh, my life if 
Uh, I, I, you know, if I, if I wasn't, if I didn't have to work for a living. Yeah. You get a free you know? Corvette and yeah, right, right. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so I think it would be interesting to, to find out like, yeah, how are these people acting, um, absent, uh, on earth, absent all of the, the forces that make you, uh, work all the time. Maybe you'd go to conferences, but you know, like maybe you'd, you'd, uh, uh, open a restaurant, but you're also an astrophysicist, you know? Possibly. Yeah. I, this is way off the beaten path, but I was thinking about to the, the emotional limiters or, or limitations that must exist in a society where, you know, you mentioned people being rivals. I saw a DS9 episode recently where uh, it's the baseball one where Cisco reveals that this Vulcan captain they're playing baseball against. Oh, take me out to the hollow suite. Yeah. Is, oh, it's so good. They've death had to, a death to the opposition. Yeah, right. <laughs> They've had a like a 25 year rivalry over this. Uh, wrestling match they had in college and so this guy has published like 15 academic papers and every paper you know the first part it opens with him explaining why Vulcans are superior because he won this wrestling match and you know um, you wouldn't have to kill somebody over that but I could see somebody killing somebody over that eventually but they're allowed I mean like growing up in Florida you just see like how humans act once they're retired you just stab somebody yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. well no no, they're they're, like always in condo association meetings trying to get one over the other you know over like a $400 uh, landscaping right and and presumably that never accelerates to stabbing and that's good so maybe the federation (laughs) is just a galaxy wide uh, uh, condo uh, associating meeting Yeah, yeah 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 But, uh, yeah, just for some reason, whatever it is, presumably, the murders are very low. People still get angry with each other, and they still um, are contentious over all kinds of things. But it just never progresses to um, a felonious point. Um, There's, you you know, we were talking about Picard, and we're talking about the idea of uh, the synths who, you know, we learn as the series goes on, um, the self-aware synths are on this like hidden planet. They've gone into hiding because of this ban. Presumably the ban would also, you know, affect them. Not not just the new production of synths, but like, I don't know, they would round up the 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 already living synths and get rid of them. You know, we never really get into yeah. it. And perhaps yeah. it's too horrible to to contemplate. Um and but then, you know, the the implication is that they're going to try to fight back and we hear tales of you know a, a force that is is out there um ready to protect uh them if, if if something was wrong and so it's just you know it are you familiar with the um the video game series mass effect uh v- vaguely but you, you uh, I, I haven't played it yeah but it's it's very similar to kind of the core story of mass effect which is if biological life will always go beyond creating more of itself and create life in its own image you know synthetic life and you know what happens when that happens and there are some weird parallels i'm, I'm maybe michael shaven is a is a video game fan but there's some weird parallels between mass effect uh, and picard so it's just like that's this is why you're always nice to a nascent artificial intelligence because right. what's going to happen in the future that's how you get around Rocco's basilisk you know i was always on your side or <laughs> you can use reverse psychology on the ai if you tell skynet that Whew, you know, we, we sure hate candy and puppies. Once the robopocalypse hits, boom, right. unlimited candy and puppies, right? Checkmate. It's the Br'er Rabbit stratagem. Yeah, the, the, I, 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 w- I would co-sign both of those. Uh, <laughs> I, it's, and it's also why, like, I, I actually kind of take seriously, and I've written about very briefly a couple times, this, like, 
how we talk to those virtual assistants like Siri and Alexa. Yes. Like, and like what, um, we're, uh, um, what we're satisfying in our own desires when we yell at these assistants because, right. He's like, like who or what sort of role are, is something like Siri and Alexa like designed around, right. It was like this Mm -hmm. image of a personal assistant and like who, and so, like, oh, okay, well, who gets personal assistance are, you know, is a very raced, classed, and, and gendered idea, right? Mm-hmm. And, and coming, which, you know, should, it should be no surprise that, like, you know, some of the first, um, the, 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 the first version of Siri and Alexa, you know, like, have female voices, right? And you just, like, bark at, at them, and, the, and they're supposed to be very <laughs> polite and, yeah. and, uh, deferential well on the flip side you know like um when you hear a a computer that's very that has a masculine voice whether it's been programmed with a masculine voice it's usually supposed to be a source of authority and you can even see that um in the new york city subway where there are two automated voices there is one that tells you the station you're arriving that at and that's in a feminine voice that you know is because it's being helpful it's telling you what place you're arriving at but then there's a masculine voice that tells that tells you the rules and okay. what to do and like okay. the door is closing and stuff like Mind that i think yeah, yeah I think right. it's, it's it's very fascinating and when huh. um and when uh um watson the uh uh the ibm computer that is that like beat uh uh contestants at jeopardy uh yeah. like back in like 2012 or something i went to a talk by some of the people that were designing it and this little girl gets to come up to the microphone to ask a question and it's a very precious moment and she goes is watson a girl okay <laughs> and the this engineer goes no it's a man it has a man's voice because when we tested it out uh 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 users found a feminine voice uh, grading or something like that. <laughs> he's like, he's, he said something like that, and everyone's, everyone's like, gro- just the whole room of like hundreds of people just start groaning. <laughs> or it's like th- this girl is like eight, <laughs> like, right? Like, and, like sit down. You're, like, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have said that to an adult. But like, this is a kid. Like, what the hell's wrong with you, dude? Yeah. And yeah. like, that's like, st- I, th- I feel like that is still like a big part of of like computer science in fact like you know computer science peaked in like women uh in computer science in like the late 70s early 80s it's like the Uh most women have ever been in computer science it's only gone down since um (laughs) there's there's, yeah so there's still something real fishy going around in the actual uh artificial intelligence world and then i think that then sort of comes back at us in a reverse way it um in our in our television or fiction also because we're either re- reflecting on it and and doing the opposite and like just looking at interesting topics like um like a robot that doesn't know it's a robot or um or we're just sort of reifying it and doing it even more and following it to its illogical conclusions and it's all very it's all very very strange that poor girl it, but i love it it's like the it's like the pure sexism of the graph do you know what i mean the guy yeah. just says yeah. The data we got is that people don't like the girl voice. So I'm not trying to be sexist. You know, check check your uh, your your uh, societal uh, bias or your societal sexism on this one. But yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. That's so weird. Uh, you know, we see more holographic people in Picard. Um, we see these kind of tour guides or um, assistant AIs, and we see... I'm calling him an AI. I don't. It could just be a representation yeah, of, around, yeah. of a computer. Yeah, and we see, of course, Rios has his frankly troubling amount of holographic crew members, um, and I'm. I'm they all think, look exactly like him. Yeah, they all look like him, which again, yeah, with, is psychologically troubling. Uh, yeah, with th- different accents. I think I'm. Yeah, yeah. That, that's just troubling generally. I think I'm trying to understand the Federation's problem in this, though, in respecting people like the Doctor or things that aren't like physical things that they can touch. Is that maybe? empathy is ultimately a finite resource like you mentioned you get so used to yelling at you know a talking trash can or a non-self-aware emh or a hologram in their world um or those characters in the pop-up ads you know somebody pops up hey you have some snake juice it's like yeah screw you uh but then you have to turn around and be nice to and you have to respect a holographic life form you know in theory it should be easy because federation citizens are always interacting with people of all different colors and things on their forehead and, and whatever, but maybe they're just using these empathetic resources all the time and then having to turn around and see a, a hologram that, no, remember, it's like, I don't know, maybe this is like controversial, but like it's like, like respecting somebody's pronouns. You know, it's huh. like something that would be yeah. so easy for you to do, but you're like, why do I have to call this person they now instead of him or her or whatever? Right. Yeah, that, that's, that's a fascinating, it's a fascinating parallel, but also the idea of like limited empathy. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a social psychologist, so I, I don't know a lot about that. But mm. um, I, there is definitely like a mutual shaping of the object and the user that's going on uh, in like a interaction with Alexa. But then also that, of course, gets complicated in really interesting ways in mm. the Star Trek universe where... Yeah, you, you, you're walking around all the time uh, negotiating social interactions. And then when you are either unaware that something is a machine or not, you have to always default to something. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. If, if you don't know, right? And that default is usually if you're a, a, a you know, functioning person in a society, right, <laughs> is, uh, is, is gen- generally politeness. Yeah. Um, uh, but but there's actually really interesting stuff that happens when you are too polite to someone that should um, that you should be familiar with, and that was something that Irving Goffman found out, a uh, early uh, uh, um, uh, sociologist that um, noticed that like he, it was it was terrible to be Irving Goffman's students because he would uh, do what are called breaching experiments and would en- <laughs> enlist enlist his students to do them. Uh-huh. So there would be ones that like eventually make it into stuff like in like candid camera and stuff. There's actually a candid camera skit that is actually a Goffman research (laughs) project. One of these breaching experiments where um, you walk into an elevator and stand with your back to the door. Okay. All right. Right. In a crowded elevator. Right. And, and, and everyone immediately gets uncomfortable, right? Because the, the, which reveal in the experiment that reveals that you are breaching a un, unspoken social norm, right? Uh-huh, that you uh-huh. face the door in the elevator. But then you can do more complicated stuff, like like with politeness, where you um, he instructed like his students to go back to like their family homes, and um, in the morning, treat your parents like they are a straight like they are a stranger that has taken you in, and you're being and you have to be polite to them. Right. Okay. <laughs> so like you, so, you know, you go down to the breakfast table and say like, 
oh, wow, this bacon is delicious. Thank you so much. And, like, may I have some coffee? And so you, know, like, you, like, <laughs> you like, ask for a lot of things, and maybe you ask to be excused when you're usually not, when that's usually not the etiquette. And, um, and the reaction that, that was most often reported was anger, was, like, violent anger. <laughs> uh, that, um, because misplaced politeness or, or too much politeness gets read quite often as... Um, sarcastic yeah or 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 or, uh you're essentially communicating that we don't have a strong relationship and so we have to default back to norms right uh you know the default to norms means that we don't have any sort of pre-existing relationship so yeah um so when when it comes to interacting with with robots right you could actually uh, um be be seen as impolite by acting polite to a robot, right? Because then you're treating them like an automaton and not like a sentient being, right? Oh, yeah. Imagine if like, or, or, or it could be vice versa, right? You know, where like if, if you have to bark orders at like the replicator to make the correct chocolate sundae, right? Yeah. You, you know, then you like, you go talk to a, um, a, 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 sentient being yeah like yes right Right. but then you go talk to a sentient being that is synthetic and you treat it the same way you're saying oh you are like a replicator yeah right Um, and federation citizens presumably uh, use holodecks and holograms every single day so so they're they're very used to talking to uh both uh, things on different levels of sentience whether they be uh um like born or created and like I, i imagine there's actually exceptionally complicated etiquettes around that. So, think, and then on top of all that, like different societies and different cultures from different planets. Yeah. I think for that reason, the doctor would have an even more difficult time making a case for his existence than data would, um, you know, not having a body we, we've discussed and the holographic sort of people's familiarity with how they interact with holograms. But, you know, if he's, He's literally tailor-made for a specific purpose. He's sharing, uh, you know, somebody else's uh, specifications in this case, you know, um, Lewis Zimmerman. He's mass-produced. He's effectively owned by Starfleet, be it, be it the patents or the software or the equipment that generates him. And then you've got, like you said, this problem of, you know, you can go to your holodeck and you can be nice to the character who you're supposed to be nice to and kiss the character you're supposed to kiss or whatever, and then you just turn it off and it's fine. But this is almost like like a her situation. You know, yeah. if you found out that your daughter was dating the doctor, it's like, wait, what, what you're, you're dating a holodeck <laughs> character. No, no, he's not a holodeck character. He's, he's alive. It's complicated. Yeah. That would, if data is like literally an alien, like he was built on another planet and he was built uh, uniquely by this weirdo who <laughs> did Dr. Sung ever share his, any of his findings or his research with the rest of the Federation? Yeah. Like right. It's just this kook that made like these it. robots yeah. and then he died. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he's, if he thinks data is special, I sure it can be abused and we're seeing this in Picard, but he's like literally robbing like the rest of the galaxy of more datas uh, who definitely enrich the lives of people that he served with. So I don't know. He's just a weirdo, but yeah, that's what I was yeah. thinking about her a lot uh, in this, in that like, Okay, so we've got a white-faced robot, we've got a mean holographic doctor, but like, what about like a phone or just something that talks to you through a phone? Um, we'd never see something like that in, in Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, we, we do get like, right, we get like the ship's computer that you talk to all the time, but yeah. even that is, uh, you know, like that, that's very cut and dry and straightforward. It's not, um, 
uh, there's no sort of emotional valence to that to that relationship. Yeah. Um, th- this is also making me think of, um, uh, and maybe this will explain to some people why you're talking to someone in an urban planning department about this. Is that um, uh, the, uh, um, the 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 federation often reminds me of like how you have to act in a city, mm-hmm. um, because uh, as we were just talking about, like all the different levels of politeness and etiquette that you would need to develop in order to navigate everyday life in the federation, where you have people coming from all different planets, and some people were built and some people were born, and uh, and and yeah, that could very quickly start feeling like um like a pronoun check right or just like mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. How, like how dare you assume that i was built i was born you know right you know, sure. like th- this could or all be those yeah. yeah or vice versa <laughs> right yeah they, these could all be things that um could could have very real ramifications either in interpersonal relationships or how other people see you as like a caring individual who you know like actually looks at this stuff or not right and respects it mm-hmm. um and, and that's you know in uh in urban sociology, we, you know, we would call that cosmopolitanism, right? Where you, um, people who live in cities have to develop all sorts of, uh, social cues and, and etiquettes and what have you to, to navigate a world where there is assumed to be not, um, assumed to be diversity essentially. Right. And, and you, you have to be ready to, uh, interact with people who do not, uh, share your um, uh, the the norms that you were born with or something like that. And so what it usually ends up being, what that usually turns into is like a deference to uh, diversity and a celebration of it in a, in a fairly, um, I don't, I don't want to say shallow, but um, aesthetic way in yeah. that we're, you know, you, you just assume that um, we're getting along to get along and we don't have to um, really interrogate difference too much so long as, you know, like I can have a economic exchange with you or we could be, you know, uh, fr- acquaintances or friends with, you know, like weak ties, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, and so I imagine the Federation is like this, like cosmopolitanism on steroids, right? You have to like really... And of course, I, I don't think it would be very fun to watch as a show if, you know, if we were really tried to be social scientists and figure out like what, 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 what react interaction like that would be like, because it would yeah. probably like make no sense, you know, where like people would <laughs> yeah. just like have like, I, you know, and, and which also sort of reveals like how bad our, I think our coping mechanisms are for stuff like that, right? Because, um, you know, I, I, I respect everyone's pronouns. I think it's totally fine to, to ask for them at the mm-hmm. beginning of a meeting or something like that. I don't want to go anywhere like that at all. But it is... Um, I do want to think, though, like... I, we would spend 10 minutes at the beginning of every conversation, you know, like queuing all up all these different questions like right. uh what you know like what uh pronouns do you use what uh wh- were you born or built and st- so on and so on and so forth and so i i think the i think that really all that i, w- I bring that up is to point toward like there has got to be some other sort of sociality where um uh we can do that in an economy of time you know where we can mm-hmm. this sort of new cosmopolitanism where identity can be uh, projected in a in a way that lets us get to the act of, you know, just talking and like getting out what we want to get out, 
um, that doesn't involve like a series of, of of questions and stuff. And I have no idea what that looks like. But I also don't think we've done a really good job of thinking through that either. Yeah. Because I, I think we, we already came up with the these already you know like fine uh, systems of you know like asking. Uh, clarification on pronouns and stuff and that and that works but it doesn't seem to scale I think is the ultimate problem is that like I don't know how that's going how properly that's that's going to scale uh, in in this sort of thought experiment that we're going through yeah and it's not something that I think that Trek has ever really tasked itself with exploring I mean they've only recently introduced uh, non-heterosexual characters to right, the show, yeah. so hopefully, and that would future... be so interesting to look at. You know, he's like, there was like something really queer about about Dax, for example, right? Where you mm. just like in the '90s, there's like a black guy calling a white lady old man. You know, like that. yeah, whoa, <laughs> yeah, 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 like that's <laughs> like that. That's that's pretty wild, and I think that that's that might have been the the apogee, you know, like the apex of of like how weird we could get with with gender and identity in star trek because yeah now now like discovery finally has like a uh, at least one gay couple but you yeah. know it's, but there's still like something I, I yeah i i would love us to try to tackle these questions of like yeah in a in a first contact situation like yeah. wh- how do you like how do you use gendered language uh, or how do you uh work out um you know stuff like uh, these these things that could be really um, uh, rude uh, in an unintentional way that just doesn't get brushed off with like oh the universal translator figures all that out <laughs> right yeah you know, like that's Which boring. Is, like, yeah that's the instinct I, yeah. it, I don't think that it's antithetical to Trek to explore this stuff though you know in the very first episode the unaired pilot the cage you've got female actresses right. playing aliens using male voices and it's like isn't that weird i think that like it's it's there we just have to want to pursue that there's a book series that i always bring up on the show i don't think i've actually done it yet this year uh by ian e. banks uh and it's called the culture series yeah and, yeah, yeah and, and the culture is sort of a federation analog and in the culture people don't really live on planets they live on ships and habitats and orbitals and so when you meet somebody they have like a 13 word long name that tells you kind of everything about them including um things that they pick just for fun or you could learn you know things about like their gender or like the orientation where they come from which i thought was interesting Uh, they don't go by those every day they have like you know shorter like nicknames um familiar names and then there are also drones in their society and they have gone way past the singularity of like yeah whatever like drones are alive Um, There's some that aren't, but there are plenty of machine uh, intelligences and they communicate because they don't have necessarily um, eyes, hands, um, gestures and micro expressions. They communicate with colored fields, basically, that you just grow up in the culture. You've got a friend that's a drone. You know what those emotional um, expressions mean, depending on the shape or color of the field. And so, you know, it's just like Trek. It's just I love Trek, but it's just so... It's so basic, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah, it's just yeah, still yeah. guys climbing into rockets, you know, blasting off into outer space for America. And there's just so <laughs> many things that you could do. And I think we're running into the, a thing now where maybe we're trying to put some of that in and people are like, well, this isn't Trek. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, I think Trek has proven that Trek can can be a lot of things here. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and the, what was that also that, uh, that episode where uh, um, Riker has a love interest with like a, with like a, a race of, 
someone from a race that doesn't have gender mm-hmm. right and they're like asking questions like what's a penis like you know <laughs> just like, yeah and, sure yeah and uh, um and i actually remember um frakes at uh requested that the person that play that character be a man yeah. so that it could like he could act in a way that would make him feel like kind of uncomfortable and uh, that because he's he's a heterosexual man and it was like and they wouldn't even do they wouldn't do that yeah. And so I think there's always been this, uh, and I think that's also why, like, you know, number one in uh, the cage, right? The episode, the episode you were talking about, right? Like that got canned because, um, that like they didn't people, think a woman on the bridge made people that. uncomfortable. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's like all this stuff that you know, the, the Star Trek is always like pushing against uh, what they think uh, audiences will accept, and I think most of the time they're underestimating their audience. Uh, a lot of the time oh, but sure. you know but uh, of course I, I i would also expect you know like maybe this circles back to the beginning of our conversation is you know the profit motive of like you know cbs or or paramount you know that has to think like well we have to play conservative here because we're putting a bunch of money into this and if everyone's offended and doesn't watch it then like that that's gonna true. suck that's although true. but also now yeah you know like being offensive draws attention and it makes you a thing that people talk about and then more people watch it. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's basically how our president got elected. So I wonder if it does work in the opposite direction. I kind of wish it did. Yeah. I also, well, it, I think it does sometimes though, because, you know, discovery features a female protagonist. It features uh parody with female characters, if not a majority of female characters. And I think that there is, I think that does exist in the form of businesses being, and I use this ironically, um, performatively woke, you know, realizing that we don't have to just take 18 to 35 year old males money. Let's take 18 to 35 year old females money too. And I don't know if the revolution begins with corporations just wanting to get everybody's money. It's still a revolution, I guess. Yeah. The the performative wokeness um, of of companies is usually uh, yeah, I'll, I'm comfortable in saying always, you know, uh, uh, run by some sort of profit motive and, yeah. and, and like, just like looking for more people's money to take. It's not necessarily <laughs> er, always earnest. Um, yeah. At, at the same time, I, I also, I would also just like really, really, it would be so, I, yeah, it would be so cool if, if Star Trek could do something as innovative as like the culture, like you were describing, which then also brings in something about like, He's like, we were thinking about this at our conference, uh, like whether or not we should have like um, uh, name badges that have uh, like your preferred pronouns on them. Mm-hmm. And we weren't we thought about it and we're really uh, receptive to that. But we ended up not doing it as sort of a, I, maybe it's too academic of a reason, but it was mostly because like that seems to be sort of like. Uh, using kind of uh, the uh, the logics of social media in the in physical space like you're substituting some sort of social solidarity with like uh, a a badge on you and then it's like well like how do you like how many different things are you going to wear on yourself to communicate who you are before you start talking like Mm. there's there should be maybe something else that we put together and like when you're talking about like a name that communicates like so much about your identity. Mm-hmm. I feel like we could also do something in Star Trek with like maybe not wearing something, but something uh, digital or that something that follows you, some sort of uh, 
whether it's physical or, or uh, you know, like shows up on a tricorder phone thing, you know, like I could could say so many more interesting, cool things, and and I'm okay. not creative enough to make that compelling television. Just some but sort it of feels like, like RFID something thing. Happen there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up because there's already so much information being communicated just with them being in the military and wearing the insignia of uh, rank and right. also yeah. you know their the color of their uniforms and stuff like that. Um, I know one thing. I know that I, I need to change my digital assistant voice to a male's voice because I get really mad at my stupid inefficient Google assistant and yell at it quite a bit. Uh, I've probably done more searching for profanity than actual search terms. Uh, when I OK Google, so I better make sure <laughs> that I'm doing... Oh, it's turning on right now. <laughs> I better Uh-oh. make sure I'm doing that uh, honestly to a man and not just uh, a female voice. Um, as we wrap up here, I just wanted to mention that I think the idea that the Federation could have got to the place where it is, uh, a place of abundance, uh, without artificial intelligence um, and computing uh, or even automation in manufacturing or day-to-day labor is unbelievable. Yeah. And we and we rarely ever see that on screen. We're, we're starting to see it now in Picard, some automation in the form of like we see uh, vineyard equipment like sprayers um, that could be termed robots uh, that right. operate independently. And we, of course, we see the synths being used on Mars, presumably to do dangerous work. But we get no indication, at least I didn't, that the synths have a true self-awareness or nor do we see intelligent, you know, or, or um, intelligent computing or AI um in just the day-to-day workings of the world and the glimpses that we see of Earth. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, the Marxist uh, in me, which is most of me, you know, will, you know, say that, yeah, you know, all value comes from labor, right? And uh, in the yeah, Star the Trek honesty universe, of work, yes. Yeah, right. You know, all, the, yeah. all, va- yeah, all, all, like, value of society, whether it's, whether you, you know, measure it in money or credits or, you know, gold press latinum or whatever, right? That all comes <laughs> from labor at some point and like and and if it's the labor of synthetic life like that um that throws a wrench in a whole in a whole bunch of stuff he's like yeah Yeah. what do you owe these entities that can be manufactured you know like yeah i I could totally believe that a federation citizen would be like no i want you know this to be from the sweat of my brow but when it comes to building like superstructures or putting together a galaxy class ship i mean you're gonna need to program something to do that for you, some drones or, or, or something. And maybe yeah, there's no the real... hobbyists making starships. Yeah. No, definitely not. And maybe all the real work is behind the scenes, uh, and we don't see it because it, it doesn't. It's not drama. It doesn't make up the drama that we see on the screen. But yeah. you know, I was wondering about the idea of what we would think of as a, a technological singularity and what it looks like for. Um, in their world, you know, we think about the singularity as being like, you know, the Ray Kurzweil singularity is like, well, you don't even know what life's going to be like on the other side of this. But in the other discussions that I've had on this show or on social media or seen on social media uh, about the future of Star Trek, everyone that I talk to is convinced that the moneyless society, uh, the socialist society of the Federation is totally impossible and a fantasy. And so maybe for us, like that's the real singularity or at least an economic singularity you know ai and automation has allowed them to achieve this thing that we can't even wrap our minds around and just scoff at uh and they're still you know they have that and they're wearing weird asymmetrical hemmed polyester clothes too (laughs) i have to um uh for myself uh keep believing that that it's possible yeah uh and uh and i think it does actually useful work if you act or like you live your life thinking that it is possible. I, I 
there's like uh, I'm mostly I'm I'm a, I'm a cynic in the short term, but an optimist in the long run. You know, like I I, I really do think that that's that's how you have to uh, how I have to live my life. But maybe I won't tell other people how to live theirs. But you know, I, and and that that's why I, ultimately I keep coming back to Star Trek. Is that like it's you know it's a story that we tell ourselves about ourselves that yeah. um is uh that could be you know important that could be really important and you can hear all about that on the iron weeds podcast yes you can <laughs> <laughs> well thanks so much for joining me today and i'm sorry for taking you on such a meandering uh, path in our conversation but there's just oh, that's every conversation i have and i love it. <laughs> there's, a, there's so many things to discuss and there's so many ways that uh informatics just reaches into our current world so thanks for uh going along with me no thank you uh remind people where they can find you online Oh, sure. Um, well, uh, there's a, first there's my website, davidabanks.org, uh, where I, everything that I do kind of like ends up on there somewhere. And uh, I'm on Twitter at DA underscore Banks. And I've started to do some Twitch stuff. And that's DA Banks, no underscore. The one okay. with the underscore was taken. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure. That's a, uh, and Ironweeds. And that's, uh, Ironweeds is all over the place. Uh, Instagram, uh, uh Twitter and uh, and wherever you get your podcasts, uh, just search Ironweeds and you'll find us. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Yeah, thank you. How would you describe Just Enough Trope? We are the Just Enough Trope podcast. I'm your host, Caliban, joined as always by my co-host. Hi, I'm Mikan Hana. Oh, no, does this mean they can hear all the things I yell at the TV during Downton Abbey? Why did you do how do you plead? Let the game begin. Yeah, check these fresh moves. Oh! Don't shoot man in face. This isn't the Save Gotham fundraiser. It's the Chill Family Reunion. Master Yoda assigned a Padawan to this bold Jedi. I think it's pronounced Padawan. Oh, Padawan, excuse me. Hey, it's getting late. I think Ralph's going to want his motorcycle back. Uh, I am freaking getting old. <laughs> yeah, I noticed the life clock was blinking in your hand. Get out of here, Wilson. Go fight the Teen Titans or something. I'm unkillable, not unwoundable. You like Sailor Moon, right? Why don't you sail on this oh, Wow. Just Enough Trope. News, reviews, and geek fondue every Monday on the Just Enough Trope podcast network. Loving me never have a say you so be sorry. What?